1: Welcome to a special live 2 o'clock edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Most of you who follow the show regularly, as so many of you do know, that typically our 9 o'clock show in the morning is a live show. And then for those of you who cannot be with us in the morning, we re- rebroadcast it at 2 in the afternoon. But there's too many important developments ongoing throughout this election day for us to uh, run a tape show at 2 o'clock. So we're with you live, and we have a lot to to talk about um, let me introduce the panel right away Tia Mitchell a reporter a Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal Constitution is in town covering the election here we're glad yeah we could we're glad you're in town Tia and one of the reasons you're here is you're going to be covering uh, Raphael Warnock tonight as he watches election returns come in right
0: that's right and of course you know us AJC re- reporters are spread all around. But I'll be with Reverend Warnock to see if he makes the runoff, as everyone expects.
1: Yeah. Uh, Stephen Fowler, I know you were just on uh, our newscast, but I think you've now joined us, I-, I hope. So let me welcome you, Stephen Fowler, GPB political reporter, who has been covering especially uh, voting, uh, voting issues, issues uh, that uh, have been so Crucial to this election unfolding in, in such a terrific way. Stephen, I'm very glad you could be with us this afternoon. Thank you. How are you holding up, Stephen? You know, I'm
2: doing well, Bill. I am deep in the bowels of a government building outside of the Secretary of State's uh, war room planning, and uh, we're counting down till polls closing.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward in just a couple minutes after I've introduced the rest of the panel to getting your take on how things are going out there. I'm also joined by uh, State Representative Terry Anulowitz. Uh She's a Democrat uh, from Smyrna. Uh, Terry, thanks for being with us this afternoon. How are you holding up?
0: Holding
3: up great. Thank you for having me. It's been exciting to listen to Stephen Fowler's updates today, and it is exciting and an honor to be here today to talk about what's happened since 9 a.m.
1: Well, we're glad you're here. And also joining us, Edward Lindsay, a former state representative, Republican state representative from Atlanta, and now a partner at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. <laughs> Edward, you can't lose at Denton's no matter who wins the election. You've got people on both sides of the aisle working with you.
4: We are. Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, and we're very proud of our bipartisan team.
1: You are a big bipartisan uh, organization. Um, let me, but before I uh, actually turn to talk about voting today, there's a, a major, what appears to be a major breaking news story. CNN just moved it about 20 minutes ago, and I want to share it with everybody on the panel. Uh, the United States Postal Service has been ordered to have postal inspectors sweep some facilities by 3 o'clock Eastern Time. For election mail. Judge Emmett Sullivan of the U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia ordered the United States Postal Service to sweep all processing facilities by 3 p.m. in a number of states, including some critical battleground states. The order mandates the UPS postal inspectors or their designees must start sweeping the processing facilities by 3 p.m. And the reason that's something we want to talk about is... uh, Atlanta is included in that uh, order. Um, Stephen, clearly a a result of concerns out there that the Postal Service has either, for political reasons from the top or for whatever reasons, has not been able to deliver absentee ballots uh, to counties uh, in in an efficient manner, right?
2: Right, and so this is especially important because... In places like Georgia, the deadline for an absentee ballot to be received in your county elections office is 7 p.m., not postmarked and put in the mail. So if people put their ballots in the mail uh, and expect it to get to their county office, it's got to involve the Postal Service actually delivering those ballots to those county elections offices. So this ruling and this decision is an extra layer of security, an extra layer of uh, reassurance for voters that put their ballots in the mail that it will be received on time for those County offices. And in Georgia, you can also return that ballot in drop boxes that are put up in your County or hand deliver it directly to your County elections office for it to count by 7 PM tonight.
1: Now, Stephen, let me make sure that, that I understand so that voters can uh, understand if I have an absentee ballot that I haven't, uh, set off in some way. Are you saying if it goes into that drop box by 7 p.m. it'll be accepted or does it have to be picked up out of the drop box at 7 p.m.?
2: Right it's got to go at seven o'clock that drop box is going to be closed for business there's going to be county workers that have to go and collect those ballots so there is still time to do it that way uh like Governor Kemp has done to make sure that ballots are received and counted.
4: Well, uh, having assisted my mother yesterday in in her um, absentee ballot, she's uh, ninety four years old. We drove up uh, Roswell Road. Let me let me give a plug there. Roswell Road, just north of Sandy Springs. There's a Fulton okay. County office up there with a drop box, and I certainly hope that anyone uh, needing to find one can find one up there. It's very convenient. Uh, but I, let me also say this: is that I'm a little surprised it took a federal judge to order U.S. Postal Service to do the sweep. I certainly would hope that every post office in the country is doing this kind of sweep, uh, whether or not you're ordered by a federal judge or not. Because We certainly want everyone's vote to be counted.
1: Uh, Tia, uh, it's interesting to hear what Edward has to say because there are those who would say – that uh, there are some who don't want every vote counted and that there have been numerous examples uh, for months now, uh, unfortunately, particularly of Republicans looking for ways uh, to slow down or to stop some people from getting their ballots cast.
0: Right. Unfortunately, and there have been even Republicans who behind closed doors or with friendly audiences uh, have said that, that, you know, a way to ensure – A win, in some circumstances, is to limit who can vote or make it harder to vote. Um, But we know that our country, our democracy, is not set up that way. And I think uh, generally people who are acting in good faith on both sides of the aisle want every vote to be counted. They want people to um, have access to participating in our election process. So again, save for those bad actors, regardless of political affiliation, I think most people are applauding this because there have been concerns about the post office. And again, we want every vote to be counted.
1: Agree. Terry, I want to get you in, but let me do this. Before I bring you in, Terry, let me go back to Stephen for a moment and, and then get you to comment on what he's going to say, what I hope he says which is, uh, Stephen, you've been keeping track of how voting is going out there. It is my sense, and you've been following it much more closely than I have, that this anticipated, and I think you said it during the 2 o'clock newscast, the anticipation that we could have a huge turnout at polling places across the state today does not seem to have come to fruition. There are an awful lot of people reporting in various polling places that they have not had long lines. Voting is going very, very quickly. Um, Is that your sense of the way things are going around the state?
2: Right. So, you know, Georgia had nearly 4 million people vote early in this election. So that's 4 million people that aren't getting in their cars and showing up to the polls today. And so the Secretary of State's office has planned for up to 2 million people to show up to the polls today. That's 159 counties, 2,400 polling places. And what we've seen so far is that uh, there aren't that many people left to vote that are going out and casting their ballot. I was down in Union City in Fulton County at the Christian City Welcome Center, which is the polling place that had the last voter vote at about one in the morning the day after the June primary. I saw one person the entire 45 minutes I was there and a big part of that is that there were more people at that polling place that voted early and submitted their absentee ballot and so what we're seeing in Georgia is record turnout but the turnout happened before November.
1: So Terry, that it, a low turnout today really can spell consequences for both sides. Um there has we, we know that through an analysis that Mark Nisi at the AJC did of early votes, that more Democrats, at least people who took Democratic ballots in the primary, uh, turned out to vo- uh, have taken uh, uh, absentee votes, early votes in the general election than Republicans. Uh, and, and so the feeling was that Republicans really need to turn out a big, big number today to match the energy that Democrats uh, have already shown in early voting. That's, that's one side of this. On the other side of it, I think it's fair to say that uh, Democrats need higher black uh, percentages at the polls to really assure themselves of, of uh, the possibility of winning uh, the state. For Joe Biden right now, uh, the black participation is just at 28%. Uh, There are some people who feel if it's not up to 30 percent, that's a bad sign for Democrats. Terry, weigh in on all that.
3: I've heard that 30 percent number also, Bill. And I know just looking at the talking about turnout overall, looking at the sample size of the 15 precincts that make up House District 42 that I represent, which is entirely in Cobb County. We have early voting turnout that ranges on the low end from 32 percent of the voters in that precinct to 63%, and that's a precinct that's really in, in the middle of downtown Smyrna. These are high numbers. And Cobb County overall, and keep in mind, you know, to contextualize this, Cobb County is a suburban metro Atlanta county that four years ago didn't even have a Democrat candidate for county commission chair. And now we may be flipping that, that, that county commission chair seat to, to Lisa Cupid, who's running. So in Cobb County, we have 57.8% overall turnout. That's a really high number. Um, and I am hearing, and, you know, I'm driving the precincts again after, after we get off the air, but the line, there aren't any lines, you know, my precinct, the Smyrna community center, which was an early, a very, has very long lines for early voting. They even put out a wonderful tent and they have a queue of bike racks set up and, and nobody's there in these lines. So it's going to be interesting to see what turnout ends up being.
0: I just want to point out that Yes, of course, Democrats have always relied on black voters. They're a very reliable bloc. They need black voters out. However, Joe Biden has a slightly different coalition this year because Joe Biden is pulling more white voters. And so that offsets somewhat the reliance on black voters because If Biden gets to, what, 30 percent and higher of white voters, that already puts him in a good position because that historically has not been the case. So I think that's something we need to look at. And again, Terry, you were talking about the suburbs of Atlanta. All of the polling has indicated that those suburban moms are starting to vote with Democrats. And again, that is part of the Biden coalition that doesn't exactly rely on black voters' As heavily in the past,
4: uh, Tia's point is is, is well taken. I, I recall I don't recall what what the what the uh, Democratic breakdown of, of white voters were in the last election, but I do recall that in in two thousand fourteen, they were only able to draw twenty three percent of the of the white vote. So uh, any increase there is, is to their advantage. Um, the question obviously is uh, is whether or not. Um, one party or the other has, for one of a better term, eaten their seed corn in terms of early voting. I do recall back in 2016 that the Clinton campaign was trumpeting the number of Democratic voters who had voted early in Florida, uh, for instance. Well, as it turned out, yes, they voted early in Florida, but it weren't that many people who showed up on Election Day. And as a result, uh, President Trump won. So that's an open question. I did also want to add one other thing, because Tia, Tia raised some questions about Republicans and their attitude toward uh, full participation. Georgia has a very good record, in large part due to Republican administrations and expanding the ability to vote in Georgia. The uh, Republican Party uh, it, you know, passed some of the most expansive early voting in the country, uh, made it easier to vote for absentee, where you can vote by absentee for any reason. So Georgia has... A good record, and, keep, and Democrats supported that as well. So Georgia has a good bipartisan record in terms of encouraging people to vote to any one of a number of means. And I think that needs to be pointed out uh, to uh, to your listeners today. That's something that both sides of the political aisle can be proud of.
1: So uh, Terry, let me give you a chance to respond to that because while it is certainly true that it is easier to register in Georgia than it ever was, save. 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, because we have motor voter registration, that sort of thing. uh, I think Democrats and and many uh, independent uh, observers would suggest that uh, registering voters is one thing. uh, Having voter suppression tactics in place is another. Um, Although the legislature did come back, you did, in last this last session changed some of the laws that people felt led to voter suppression and you did make it a little bit better yes terry
0: that is absolutely
3: correct and i hope that that's reflected in the numbers that we see when the polls do close this evening it is it is it is it is easier than ever to register to vote in georgia it is easier than ever to vote in georgia the fact that again again Cobb county i know we had 16 early we have we had you we know, have 16 Dropbox locations. There were 11 early voting locations. I feel like we've done a good job. There have been some precinct location changes, which that that can be of concerning. And I know in DeKalb County today, there were I know a lot of folks in DeKalb who got a letter yesterday that their precinct was changing. Uh, but you know, in Cobb, we really tried to get that message out several months prior to election day, where people needed to go to vote, and again, you just all of the different options people had to vote, and 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 I I, I think it's going to be. I think
1: it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good for Democrats. Stephen, let's uh, let me turn to you again on a couple of matters in terms of what you've seen uh, today. Uh, First of all, uh, you said this in the news report with Ricky Bevington. Uh, We haven't seen the kind of major technical problems, certainly that we had in the June primary that led to such terrible, terrible long lines, people waiting forever to vote Uh, to to. To a large extent, it appears that the Secretary of State's office, working with county offices, have managed to clear up most of the major—we just haven't seen a lot of big problems. I know there have been problems in in polling places around the state, but this election is running pretty smoothly, isn't it?
2: Right. And so, you know, this is only the second statewide election run on Georgia's new voting system, which has more steps— which is more technologically involved than our old system, and it's still many poll workers first elections. The Secretary of State's office said yesterday that fifty two thousand Georgians volunteered to be poll workers after the June 9th primary when there was a shortage. So you've got new people into the fold, and it's important to remember that nothing that happened so so far today that led to problems were necessarily new or unexpected. There are always going to be problems with elections because there are humans involved, both from the voter end and from the poll worker and election official end. But what has changed from June is that there has been more training, there are more technical support people, and there's more responsiveness to tackling these problems. And really, this shift towards early voting and the laws and the rule changes has really made it easier to take the burden off of these polling places that might have these issues. So I think one of the storylines, regardless of how Georgia does as, as far as results coming in, is going to be Georgia's election administration and how the mistakes and the failures of the June primary were taken and learned from to get to a mostly successful November.
1: Well, Edward, won't it be lovely to not be making national headlines overnight and tomorrow for yet another uh, major (laughs) screw-up in terms of Georgians getting to the polls?
4: Well, my friend Mary Margaret Oliver, who also appears on the show quite frequently, I think she was on this morning, likes to say it's always a good day when Georgia doesn't appear in the New York Times. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, quite frankly, um, around the country, the, the, the places that most people are concerned about in terms of battleground states is, is a place like Pennsylvania. Um, and, and I might also point out that, according to at least one researcher, uh, in terms of overall voting, one of the places that has the most difficulty, it doesn't come into play in the presidential race because it's overwhelmingly Democratic is, is New York because of some of their uh, antiquated equipment. But in terms of battleground state, I'm very happy to to pass that off to to Pennsylvania. And let's just hope that that this election doesn't come down to that one state.
3: One thing I wanted to add when we were talking about the changes that the Secretary of State and the way elections are handled in the state of Georgia has changed since June. And I speak from a lot of breath-holding experience, because I had a primary in June that was very, very close. While we were waiting for those absentee ballots to be counted, it ended up being not so close. So that's neither here nor there. But we, um, <laughs> one of the things that we're
2: doing, <laughs>
3: neither here nor there. One of the things that we're doing, though, now is pre-scanning these absentee ballots as they arrive, and I think that is a huge, tremendous, wonderful step forward that will hopefully lead to much less anxiety for both candidates and for citizens on election night
1: in the next segment of the show, I want to talk about what the implication of that of that that ability to to uh, count ballots a little bit more quickly uh, may have as the night goes on tonight. but be but we'll do that after we take a break in a couple of minutes. In the meantime, Tia, the other thing that doesn't seem to have developed we we, we weren't necessarily looking for any particular problems here in Georgia that I'm aware of. But around the country, There were real fears that um, there was going to be disruptions at polling places, that there might be groups of white supremacists and others who would try to intimidate voters. And we did see a little uh, pockets of that uh, in early voting in a couple of uh, states. But so far, to the best of my knowledge, again, I've seen no news that tells me that there have been any disruptions at polling places in the United States. And, and I think f- for that, we should all breathe a sigh of relief. Now, that's not to say things aren't going to start up after the election is over. But at least for today, we haven't seen the kind of disruptiveness, for instance, as we saw with the caravan disrupting the Biden t- uh, bus on its way to an event in Texas the other day, the shutdown of a couple of bridges in New York over the weekend. We haven't seen anything like that today.
0: Right. And what we don't know is how much of that was just kind of, you know, making, making a big thing out of something that was isolated. Um, we also don't know perhaps if some of these groups um, through their channels decided that, you know, it wasn't advantageous for them to move forward with some of these plans. We've heard, you know, um, for example, um the AJC, we monitor extremist groups, and we monitor those channels, and we know that they talk amongst themselves as to what they think is the best play. And so, we, you know, I mean, the good thing is we're left to speculate because that stuff hasn't come to fruition. We are seeing that some businesses around Atlanta are still boarding up as part of a precaution because, again, there are now concerns not so much about intimidation at polling sites but whether there will be unrest in the streets depending on who is leading tonight and perhaps whether it comes from the left or the right people taking to the streets in protest again i'm not sure if that is truly a threat or if that's just kind of hand wringing but i guess you know better to be safe than sorry but you know it remains to be seen if that actually happens later on tonight
1: Stephen, I do have to get to a break, but just to check it off with you, you have heard no reports of uh, voter intimidation at any polling places that you've been looking at, right?
2: That's right. And I mean, some of it is there are very specific laws that kind of uh, protect what you can do certain distances away from polling places and things, you know, like nobody could go out and wave campaign signs at you as you go in to cast your ballot. And uh, so I, I think, you know, Georgia is in a state where we are seeing a lot of antagonism at the polls. In fact, I've seen more people out doing things like uh, bringing food trucks and water and chairs for voters that potentially have to wait in line than trying to intimidate or do something to uh, cause chaos.
1: Well, as we take a break then, I have to say, thank goodness that so far we have had a peaceful election day and we'll watch how things develop uh, tonight, overnight, and in the days ahead, but but as for right now, we have not got the kinds of problems that some people were very nervous uh, could develop. So let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way and come back with a lot more on this special afternoon edition of Political Rewind.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
1: GPB political reporter Stephen Fowler. The AJC is Tia Mitchell. Uh, State Representative Terry Anulowitz and uh, former state rep Edward Lindsay are with us for our live afternoon edition of Political Rewind. A couple of program notes before we go forward. Um, One is that uh, starting in the 7 o'clock hour tonight, uh, GPB statewide radio will be carrying NPR's uh, national election coverage. Uh, several times during that hour and then the 8 o'clock hour, I'll be anchoring uh, our coverage of state news, uh, I think 715, 735, 755, something like that. Again, at 8 during that hour, we'll bring you the latest on what we know about how the Georgia count is going. And then at 9 o'clock, during the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to carve out a bigger chunk of time to uh, talk to you about local returns, statewide returns, because by then we should start getting some pretty good numbers and have a fairly good sense of what may be developing here, and uh, then we'll share that hour with NPR, and at 10 o'clock, right straight up at 10, or maybe a little before, we're going to do a fairly lengthy uh, special edition, election night edition of Political Rewind to uh, bring in some of our top panelists to talk with you about what's going on. And, of course, as the night unfolds, if there are major things happening here in Georgia, we'll take uh, time back from the network to share it with you. If there are important things happening uh, nationally while we're on the air with our coverage, we'll throw it back to NPR. So it's going to be a flexible night, and we really – I know most people are watching this on TV, but I don't think you're going to hear more localized, more statewide coverage uh, on televisions than you're going to hear if you listen to GPB. So we'd love to have you – uh, join us, okay? Um, uh, Stephen Fowler, quick note: uh, I, I don't, and this is not funny. The fact that Brian Kemp was exposed to the coronavirus uh, at a drew at a rally that he was at with Drew Ferguson, who turned out to have the virus and, and therefore had to quarantine, is a serious situation. And we certainly hope that the governor does not develop COVID uh, nineteen. Nevertheless, it comes; it's awkward timing. Uh, for him, the last thing Republicans want to do is remind voters that COVID is still out there and it's not getting particularly better. Uh, we do know the voter dropped the, the the governor dropped off his ballot in a box this morning. He did not go to a polling place, right?
2: That's right. He posted a video of him dropping off his absentee ballot into a drop box, uh, which will be counted because it was before the deadline. And the former Secretary of State is uh, unintentionally showcasing some of the voting reforms that Georgia has brought in because of the pandemic in ways that's made people easier. And yeah, it, it, it is uh, unfortunate timing for him. Um, uh, T and I were both at a President Trump rally up in Rome on Sunday night, and Governor Kemp's appearance was noted and missed. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan ended up saying a few words about him. But you know it, it does you know, switching from purely talking about how the elections are run to kind of the consequences of the elections, it does kind of put an exclamation point on how uh, some voters may view Kemp and Republicans' handling of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, um Edward, I think that there you have to say that this, this is still the COVID-19 election.
4: yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you have uh, well north of 200,000 Americans who, who, have, who have died as a result of this. You've got uh, a rising number of cases that are being reported. You've got hospitals. Uh, you've got our experts saying that as we approach colder times, we should expect some uh, difficult days ahead. And whoever's in power, uh, one that has to answer for that. Uh, and the question is, can, uh, this president and can other elected officials who currently hold power, uh, be able to show, uh, their constituents that they're doing all they can to combat it? It's, it's a total fair issue. I mean, it, it moves beyond politics. And so, um, you know, it's something that the president is, is, has struggled with trying to respond to. It's something that, uh, the governors, I think, by and large, have done better with, and quite frankly, the poll numbers show that most governors are are are, are above water in their handling of it. Uh, but you know, it's it's fair game because it's a very serious issue. We haven't had this this kind of uh, of crisis, a health crisis, since 1918,
1: 1919, 1920. 19, uh, yes, Terry, there were. Uh Edward might be correct that the governors are doing a better job than uh, the White House has. But the point is uh, that the Biden campaign would say that's the problem. This should have been a federal response, coordinated federal response from the beginning. And it, it, that's exactly why this is the COVID-19 election, yes?
3: No, that's absolutely right. Viruses don't respect state lines. You know, it's just like, you know, you can't keep chipmunks from coming into your backyard by putting up a fence. You can't stop a virus. Um, you know, with, with, the, with the, the ad hoc responses that we've had. And I think that it is a very real concern that a lot of people have. And one thing I wanted to go back to, you know, talking about the pandemic reforms that we've that we've had for voting, I'd like to hear, I'm I'm curious to hear everyone else's opinion, I don't think these get walked back. I don't think you, you know, we have drop boxes for a matter of health and safety. I don't think you go back from having drop boxes. I don't think you go back from having, you know, all of these other easier ways to vote. Well,
1: wait, point, wait, I, you're, I, I you, you're saying you. you don't retreat from that, that this is now what our elections will look like?
3: That's right. I think that this is now how we're going to have okay. elections. I don't think you go back. Uh,
4: I I absolutely agree. And and the Secretary of State has agreed, the Secretary of State says that he's putting together a, a blue-ribbon bipartisan commission to come up with proposals for the next General Assembly session. And I think a big part of it has to be uh, how we deal with the the growing number of absentee ballots, for instance, that folks are likely to cast now that they've gotten used to doing so. In 2018, uh, only in the general election, only six percent of the of the voters voted by absentee. I dare say the numbers will be dramatically higher this time. They were close to fifty percent in the primary in June. So you know, even though. There will be more people more willing to vote either early or on Election Day once the pandemic passes. Folks have gotten used to voting by absentee. And voting by mail is, by and large, safe, I'll, I'll say this, and, and has not really shown to be partisan. I mean, some of the most liberal states in the country, such as Oregon, use vote by mail. And Utah, one of the most conservative states in the country, uses vote by mail. So, you know, I don't think it should be a partisan issue. It's simply how people are going to want to vote in the future.
1: All right, Tia, let me move on. Uh, I I think it's really fascinating, and this relates to Georgia, that the New York Times is bringing back their infamous needle tonight. Uh, For those people who don't remember the needle— it was a system that the New York Times introduced in 2016, which was a visualization, a way to visualize which, which direction an election was heading. And uh, in 2016, they used it for the entire country in trying to uh, predict the outcome of the presidential race. But here's why it's fascinating this year. The Times is not going to try to do it on a national basis for a lot of reasons. The fact that absentee ballots... Uh, And uh, early voting, they can't quite figure out how to uh, 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 work all of those into their data set. They're focusing on three states, North Carolina, Florida, and Georgia. And they're doing it for a couple reasons. One, because all three states report early. You know, when I say we're going on the air at 7 o'clock tonight, Um, Polls will be closing here. I'm sure Stephen can tell us there will be some still uh, processing voters after 7 o'clock. But uh, we close pretty early. We're expected to count relatively quickly because of the notion of processing absentee ballots or mail-in ballots early. Uh, And they're also focusing on these states because they say if Joe Biden should win any one of them, it is likely all over for President Trump. So – The needle is going to be a fascinating device to watch this evening.
0: Right. And I think it's so interesting that Georgia is in the mix in this way. Um, You know, Democrats have been pushing for that. I will say that I have been skeptical. um, But it is true that Georgia is in the mix. And we, the thing that I think folks need to remember is Biden doesn't need to win all of these states. He actually could win the presidency with none of these states. But if Biden wins even one of these three states, then it bodes well for him winning. So the needle is an indicator of Biden's strength, but not necessarily an indicator of Biden wins yes or no.
1: Stephen, are you muted?
2: I am muted. It's been a long day. Uh, The needle is something that gives me a lot of anxiety as somebody who deals with voting data and deals with people uh, (laughs) maybe jumping to conclusions about things. But, you know, this election, what we do know is that more votes in this election have been counted, uh, have been cast and counted before Election Day. And typically those are the votes that are going to come in first. Um, Two weeks ago counties could start processing the mail-in absentee ballots that have been returned. The CAB County said yesterday that they are all caught up. Fulton County has an army of processing units in State Farm Arena that they're going to be used to tabulating. And, you know, so we're going to have absentee ballot results, by and large, quickly. Same with the in-person early vote, quickly. So we should know 4 million of Georgia's votes relatively early into the night tonight, and maybe a million to two million more will also know because of the way our election results are processed and returned. So, you know, here's hoping the needle takes into account for that. But, you know, this year in particular, even with a pandemic, Georgia has done a lot of things to make sure that we won't be waiting days and days and days to know how most of the races turned out. But Georgia being a battleground state and having close races. We might not know the final margins or, in the case of the Senate special election, who the two candidates are in the runoff until every single vote is counted, which is something that happens in every single election every single year.
4: Well, there's a great part of me that wishes that The New York Times had adopted the phrase mining rod versus uh, needle uh, in memory of, of the Andy <laughs> Griffith show, uh, but but their their use of their their focus on these states I think is very is very appropriate here, because and and he is absolutely right. Biden may not need to win any of these states, but if Trump doesn't carry these, if Trump doesn't hold on to his uh, his southern sunshine areas stretching from Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. Uh, all the way to Arizona, if he doesn't carry those states, uh, it's game over. Uh, I, I'll say this as the Republican. He's got to carry those states and then pick off two or three in, in the north in order to win. So, it, you know, it, it is good that 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 um, New York Times sort of focus on those states. And also, I think it's good because it will be an early indicator. All those states are because of how they have processed absentee uh, ballots so that they can be readily – um, counted very quickly, we'll know the results in North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida fairly quickly.
3: Well, and that's something that really fascinates me is that we're going to know these results from North Carolina, Florida, and Georgia probably while polls are still open in the Western states. And so the fact that the New York Times needle is focusing on three states, which are, I agree, critical to, um, you know, if, if Trump wants to win, he's got to win one of these states. And if Biden wins one of these states, he's probably going to win. And we're going to know that while people can still go to the polls out in the West, which is which is pretty interesting.
1: You know, uh, Tia, uh, before we get to our final break of the show, I, my reason for bringing up the needle is, first of all, Nate Cohen, who oversees the data crunching at the New York Times, knows what he's doing. He's pretty smart. And Stephen, uh, you probably haven't had a chance to read how they're working with the needle, but they have taken into consideration all the factors that you Talked about uh, how the early votes are processed, so we'll see. My point is not so much whether uh, the needle is somehow going to give us an exact uh, a measure of what the how things are going to turn out. It's the fact, Tia, that as I said it on the show this morning, Georgians are wondering how the heck they got a date to this prom who would have expected (laughs) we'd be going to this dance as a battleground state
0: yeah i mean i I mean you have to give credit to stacy abrams for not only creating a blueprint but for pushing for number one reform and pushing for her coalition she kept her coalition together and engaged in the two years since losing the gubernatorial race. So she handed Democrats, she handed the presidential contest a built-in system in Georgia that was on the cusp of winning statewide. and you got to give her credit. I know Republicans they don't like a lot of things about her, but you, you know you got to give her her props. Then the other thing is again, we have to acknowledge that President Trump is in a different position than four years ago four years ago he came in as an outsider and he didn't have a, a a record as an elected official to digest and now we have three and a half years of a trump presidency to pick apart plus a pandemic
1: all right i'm running late to get to the break but i gotta say the stephen When you were talking about the the factors involved in in the needle a minute ago, you made me realize something, and I'm sure glad you did before we get on the air with our coverage of the election tonight. We're used to guys like me who have been covering elections since 1984 are used to being able to watch the geographical uh uh returns and how they came in and we used to say oh well the early returns are from rural georgia and yes it's likely the republican will build up a pretty significant lead in rural counties but will it match and can it can it uh, uh stand up to the big democrat we're not going to have that tonight it's going to be a totally different ball game
2: well you know Yes and no. I mean, I I think one thing, uh, a shameless plug, I put together a precinct map of every early vote in the state of where it is, what percentage of the precinct is. And so, you know, we should be able to track it in many ways, even though it won't be, you know, we won't have Tolliver County come in at 730 and then be able to go to the next smallest county. But, you know, we will kind of see, uh, I think, more of a deluge of results coming in. And uh, maybe we won't even be able to keep up with the refresh button as much because of how much is going to be coming in from all over the state all at once.
1: Um, I want to follow up on that after this break. Uh, And we'll do that in a minute. You're listening to Political Rewind. Uh, we're back with the final couple of minutes of uh, today's political. Very, very quickly, Stephen, uh, I, we, we usually see the rural vote uh, first because it comes in faster. It's easier to count. Um, are, you're saying the the absentee votes, the early votes will not, uh, if say from a decab County where it takes longer to count, we won't hear those results until the in-person voting takes place. They'll all come in at once.
2: I think, you know, we should be able to see, you know, starting maybe about eight o'clock or so, Results from all different shapes and flavors, election day, early in-person absentee, from all over the state. Because in the old system that we had before, there were memory cards, and you just had to gather up all the memory cards and then upload them one by one. But now we've got memory cards for the scanners, and it's the same scanners that are taking care of the absentee ballots. And so in some ways, you know, you kind of can – all of the election results coming in from once, depending on how many people the county has vote and how many people the county has inputting okay. things into the system.
1: All right. Well, we'll be watching all of that tonight. All right. Let's do a quick uh, look at a couple other races. Uh, Edward Lindsay, uh, David Perdue in a tight, tight race with John Ossoff. Is that headed to a runoff? Is there any chance either one of them might pick up some last minute momentum and go over 50 percent with Shane Hazel fading on Election Day?
4: You know, um, libertarians usually get 2 to 3% uh, of the vote. The last poll that I've seen was by Landmark, uh, Mark Roundtree's polls, polling company, which is, quite frankly, one of the best uh, generally regarded in the country. And he has it as a dead heat, I think 47 to 47. So mm-hmm. if I were to bet, I'd bet that that's headed to a runoff. Um, and so we will have she- a very interesting Christmas season. Christmas Day will be filled with political ads.
1: Oh, great. Uh, Terry, uh, race number two, uh, Raphael Warnock has certainly separated himself from the pack and will go on to a runoff. Uh, and he goes into that runoff uh, having done nothing but build up the positive image that he's created with his TV ads. But uh, either Kelly Leffler or Doug Collins will come at or after him swinging hard after uh, the election uh, tonight is over.
3: That's right. And it's going to be interesting to see how tonight's election results set the tone for this runoff, because we know we are going to have a runoff. It's highly likely that it's going to be Raphael Warnock in the runoff. We know whoever he's running against has been going low and going negative and really hasn't been paying that much attention or at least saying that much about Raphael Warnock at this point in time. So the bar is set high. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. I think that if we have a Biden win in Georgia tonight, we're going to see a different kind of campaign than if we had than if we have a Trump win in Georgia tonight.
1: Tia, what are you looking forward to when you go see the Warnock people tonight? They're going to be in uh, they're going to be somewhere in downtown Atlanta. Yes.
0: Yeah, he's going to be um, in the Sweet Auburn district, not far from his church, Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, you know, I'll be looking to see the mood as well as, you know, we we it's pretty much widely accepted that Warnock's gonna make it to the runoff. We're pretty much waiting to see who else makes it to the runoff, whether it's Senator Leffler or Representative Collins. And it's gonna be interesting to see how Reverend Warnock pivots to a runoff because he's gonna have to figure out who his opponent will be and what his messaging is going to be against that opponent. And, um, you know, Collins and Leffler have spent the past few months really attacking each other, trying to out-Trump each other, uh, painting themselves as the most conservative in the race. So it'll be interesting to see how Reverend Warnock handles, you know, the head-to-head matchup.
1: Uh, we expect that at some point tonight we'll be uh, able to talk to you. We're going to be talking to your colleague, Greg Bluestein, who's going to be with uh, David Perdue. And Stephen, we're certainly hoping we can talk to you as you keep us informed uh, as to uh, all that's happening. Are you going to be in that war room all evening?
2: Uh, no, I am actually also going to the Warnock event for a little bit and going to end up the oh, night okay. with Senator Kelly Lesler and David Perdue there in uh, across the street hotels from each other in Buckhead. And so we'll be uh, viewing kind of all of the major campaigns. I know John Ossoff is doing something uh, remotely, watching at home. And so just kind of keeping track of the way the evening goes as we get some of these results in and see how the race is going to shape up. But I do think that we are going to see um, potentially two holiday runoffs for both Senate seats, which is just what everyone wanted to do for Christmas and the holidays. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Stephen, wherever Christmas you Christmas. are tonight, we're going to want reports from you. Yeah. Edward.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, the, the, the second Senate race is, is going to be interesting. Some things to to look at is, is one is whether or not Warnock uh, uh, stays below 40 or gets above 40%. That's going to be sort of an interesting uh, question that comes out. Um, and, and it's really Fascinating to see uh, Senator Leffler and, and and Representative Collins, especially given the the money differential between the two of them. Uh, Senator Leffler obviously had uh, you know several times more money than Collins did, but she could never quite put him away. And uh, one interesting question in trying to drill down and look at the tabs on the polls that I've seen, which show do show a slight favor to them to toward uh, uh, Leffler, but uh, what What I can't tell is when they try to gauge Republican votes, did they weigh the fact that in the ninth congressional district, uh, Representative Collins is likely to receive a whole lot more votes uh, up in that area, similar to what uh, Governor Beal had happen in the 2010 congressional race in which he was propelled into the runoff. By the overwhelming support he received from Republicans in the Republican primary, so that'll be. Those are some interesting questions to to, to look at during that race.
1: Well, Terry, the other thing is, I'm sorry. uh, The other thing is going to be interesting, Terry, about the Leffler Collins race is it's also the David Ralston versus Brian Kemp race. (laughs) David Ralston is out there pushing hard for his former. Uh, House member Doug Collins. And, of course, the governor appointed Kelly Leffler to that seat. It's going to be fun to see who has the real clout in the Republican Party.
3: That's right. And, Bill, I got to tell you, I look forward to hopefully coming back on the show after we know where some of these chips are falling so we can then talk about what to expect in the House during the legislative session come
0: January.
1: Yeah, we're going to see Tia.
0: I just wanted to say, you know, I don't us inside baseball folks are going to you know be looking at Ralston versus Kemp and if there's payback depending on whose candidate wins but the people voting neither maybe Kemp cuz Kemp's governor but they don't care about David Ralston you know he's not moving the needle you know at the ballot box
4: <laughs> but he does have the house members <laughs> and and that's important he does have house members behind him yeah. similar to what uh, Governor Deal also had uh, the speaker behind him. And through him, he had his House members working hard for Governor Deal in 2010.
1: That's, the, the, that's Ed, the important Ed part. Edward, Edward Lindsay, you have gotten the final word in the last election show that Political Rewind will do in the 2020 cycle. Oh, we'll be back tonight with coverage of the 2020 election. But this is it. Political Rewind finishes a year and a half of covering the 2020 race. Tia Mitchell, Terry Anulowicz, Ed Lindsay, and Stephen Fowler, what a pleasure to have you all here. I, I'm Bill Nygut. I hope you all join us tonight. And in the meantime, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and please go get a flu shot. See you all tonight.